it's me, Dr. Z, and I'm here with... JB, uh, and uh, ready to flip the script, actually, on you, Dr. Z. Is that okay today? Sure. I, uh, I, there's been I'm a, a little lot nervous. Of, you should be. <laughs> you should be. Um, but a lot of people have asked, and I'm very curious about who this, Who Eagles too. players are? Who Eagles players are, which okay. you identified three correctly, even though they're not active, and we appreciate that. I'm sorry <laughs> for all the birds gear today, but actually I'm not because these hats are sweet and so is this hoodie. Um, but what are you thinking a lot of the time? That's what I think a lot of people want to know during therapy sessions. Well, like, during therapy sessions? Yeah, well, yeah. I think I, meant like in general, like driving in my car. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's, a whole, that's, that's a, whole. a whole La Brea tar pit full of thoughts, <laughs> I think, right? <laughs> I just saw the promo before we came in, so it's in my head. So one of the biggest questions that I think I have, and maybe some folks have, is when you're walking into a session for the first time, what are you thinking during that? What are you listening for and thinking in that session? Can I add another thing in? Yes, please. What am I actually visually looking for, too? Oh, and visual cues. Yes. Okay, vi what visual audio cues and things are you thinking when yes. you see those cues, I guess? So the first is, are they, and when I say put together, I don't mean like do their clothes match. I mean, are they, like, do they look messy, right? Because they're depressed. They can't shower. They can't get themselves together, right? So there's that. Does their affect match what they're talking about? That's a huge one. So um, if they're talking about, a breakup that they had, let's say in the in the evaluation, are they talking about it with a smile on their face, talking about how they were potentially abused, but they're smiling or they're laughing or they're talking about something really upbeat, but their affect is totally flat. So you want to look for a disconnect between the two because that's very telling. Um, their body language, are they shaking their leg? Are they making eye contact with me? Are they... Um, Oftentimes you'll see it, their body posture tells you a lot. So when people tend to talk about things, now you're going to look for this, but when people talk, tend to talk <laughs> Always, about things course, yeah. that are really uncomfortable, sometimes they kind of almost kind of go backwards into this kind of, not fetal position, but, but they withdraw, physically withdraw. And so I look for that. I look to see what what things they're talking about, where they lean into me, where they lean back. If I lean in, are they leaning in? Um I look for gaps in their stories that they're telling me. You're starting to sound like a cop, Dr. Z. Let me tell you something. <laughs> no joke. Wait. No, no, no. I'm not even kidding. If you ask me, yeah. the th there's three things that I would have wanted to do had I not been a psychologist. Of course. Two yeah. are completely irrational, but whatever. One was a makeup artist. I Love still want to do that. Okay. I totally see that. Do Vince's makeup. Yes. Two... I kid you not, a detective. I could totally see it. I and not like the searching, stalking, the X's on Instagram. I mean, like legit detective piecing things together. Well, hold on a second. When this is, you know, onto a rocket ship and you're ready to do Dr. Z breaks crimes, let's, well, come on. Done. Let's let's jump into that D pool. That sounds fun. I, I'm telling you, I'm really, like. Cold case Dr. Z. I am so good at that stuff. <laughs> I swear. It just, I have, I, my whole life, right? And then a professional tennis player, which failed miserably. Roger Federer, if you're listening, still available, by the way, to Marty play a Fish, match, if right? you're listening, Marty I Fish. want you on here. Come on, Marty Fish. Okay. All right. So there are elements yes. of, yeah, you have to, I mean, you're, 
you're gonna profile somebody when you when yeah. you walk some in, right? Yes. And that's the point of this. Yes. It's not to also for, for they're guarding It's not like you're not judging people in no. that moment, right? No, it's actually it's collecting information. So for I'll give you I'll give you some clinical examples. So if somebody is very slowly walking into my office and they're kind of looking around, they don't know where to sit because it's pretty self-explanatory, right? Yeah. Like before, well, before everything came to Zoom, right? But there was a couch, not to lay down on, not that kind of therapy. Like when did that start? Oh, uh, that's Freudian. It's it was uh, it was. Some people still do it. I'm not knocking right. it. It's just not my thing. So there's a couch, like a two seat thing, and like a chair that I'm already, you know, that I shake their hand and I walk in and I sit down. If they're standing there, don't quite know, and they're very uncomfortable, so that's something that I that I take into consideration. Then I have people who will deliberately sit, which is very interesting, in the seat that they know is mine. Mm. And therapists who are listening, I'm sure, have had this happen. Um, it's it's kind of like a it, it's almost like a uh, leveling the playing field, so to speak. So I always my whole thing is when people come in. Um, there's some therapists that'll say that they want to make sure that it's equal playing field, right? That the person feels comfortable. And I agree with that, except for the fact that you're the professional and they're coming in to see you and they're paying you money that they don't want to waste. They don't want to waste their time. There has to be some sort of expertise and patient. There has to be. Um, and so I like that framework, but still with a ton of empathy, um, you know, hand holding if need be. It is super uncomfortable to come into a stranger's office and start talking about things that are super personal. So I respect that and I know that. And I can I look for all those things I told you about as kind of a guide for me to know if I'm pushing for too much or if I can push a little bit more. And I always let them know in the beginning, if we don't get through anything today, everything today, it doesn't even matter. Don't worry about it. Just just I will guide you. Um, I look to see if they dominate the conversations. I look to see where they interrupt me, what things I'm talking about that they interrupt usually means they're uncomfortable. Um, and Is I it like, yeah. the, or to like to be defensive. Is that like that, yeah. that element of it too? Yeah. It's like if they laugh at something, you know, sometimes when you're uncomfortable and you laugh at something I'm guilty right. all the time. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's that. And, um, I look to see and I listen for how they describe themselves in relation to other people. Is there a pattern in how they, everybody else sucks? Everybody is doing them wrong or, you know, or, you know, they feel that they're the peacekeeper for everyone. So those patterns we talked about, I look for that in how they talk about their history. Um, you know, and again, remember in a first session, I'm really just, it's a really big information gathering session. But again, like you said, which is why it's an important question, not just what they're actually saying, but how they're saying it, when they're saying it, their body language, all of it. Interesting to me. It's, it's just kind of reading somebody in a room and like, you know, bang, bang. I think we're, I think I know where we're going mm -hmm. here in, in a, in, in a session, you know, as you said. Maybe it takes a, a, a one or two, but uh, and they don't know me. You know, they don't stuff. know me from yeah. a hole in the wall. So you know, I also have to respect the fact that here you are. You don't know me. Maybe your friends come to me or whatever, but you don't know me. You know, maybe you see me on Instagram. That's it. And so here you are sitting, telling me some really personal shit. Well, yeah, and that's kinda... and it's an honor. Like that's the other thing too. Is like I think sometimes patients forget. Like it's a it's a huge responsibility. And an honor on, on, on my end that people are, are trusting me with this. I mean, that's a it's a it's a big it's a big deal and I have to take care of them. A hundred percent. And that's kinda like where how do you not judge somebody? 
you know, because yeah. on the on the ways of all that stuff, like how how do you not judge somebody when they're when there's so many different things? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. So first and foremost, I listen. I you know I'll have someone coming. I get this all the time. They'll sit down and they'll say, you know, you definitely haven't heard anything as crazy as this. And I'm like, I don't want to invalidate their experiences because to them it's the craziest thing I've ever, you know. And I'm like. I, I can take, I always say, I can take it. I can handle it because you don't have to take care of me. Like I'm, I'm good. Right. Like this is what I do. Um, so I let them know that there's nothing they can say that's going to shock me. But at the same time, I think it's really important for therapists to also show empathy. So if somebody is telling me something really super disturbing and I'm sitting there with no emotional expression on my face because I'm trying to keep a boundary and keep it neutral, like, shit, if I'm telling you about how I was abused as a child and you're sitting there straight faced with no emotion, I'm going to button up real fast. So there's a there's a line that you have to walk between going, you know, making them feel invalidated, but also at the same time, not making them feel like what they told me was just so mind blowing to me that I'm incapable of helping them because yeah. it's so earth shattering to me. So I let them know I've heard it before. Every person's situation is different. And at the same time, um, that's really fucking tragic. And sometimes they just need to know that, like, yeah, it is that bad. And that is tragic. And so I I don't, I don't, honest to God, I don't judge anybody for what they're doing. Because the fact that they're coming in and opening up and talking about really uncomfortable things, how can I judge someone for that? Yeah, yeah. I can't. I don't have that. And I think if you do judge someone, it's human. And as a psychologist, you are trained and equipped with skills to recognize that you are passing judgment and be objective to it and notice that and use that as kind of like, okay, if I feel this way, this is probably the response they're getting from people outside of therapy. So I need to make sure that I give them a different type of response. So it, it really, I don't judge any, I really don't judge anyone. I mean, someone could tell, come in and tell me that they, you know, um, blew their child's retire, you know, college funds. Yeah. Do would I do that to my kid? No. But at the same time, I'm also not in their situation. I don't have their upbringing. I don't have their thought process. So who the hell am I to judge them? They're hurting. They're here. They want help. So judging them does nothing. Right. I'll tell them it's to. wrong. You know, they'll, they'll, I'll, I won't sugarcoat. I don't sugarcoat stuff in therapy. As you, you, you don't sugarcoat? I, I can't believe I that. I don't sugarcoat in therapy. Yeah. I am definitely not for everybody, and that's fine. I'm slowly learning that on Instagram. <laughs> yes. I have a lot of haters. Well, that means there's... Keep it coming. It means people are paying attention to what yeah. you're saying, so that's good. So, um, but but no, I don't, I don't, I really don't judge anyone, and, and people... No, I, I don't. I really don't. I But I don't also don't think judgment is acknowledging that something someone did was really bad. Yeah. That's not judgment. Sometimes it's just factual. Yeah, and there's like the whole not always two sides to a story thing. It's just correct. like, no, that was bad. Right. And that's what we're here to correct. It, it, that's exactly right. Right, right exactly. I'm not going to, you know, I, it's, it does no one any good for me to judge them. And is it hard to stay objective? So... There have been, I can count on my hands three times where I've had to tell somebody I cannot treat them 
And that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, ethically, and you give them referrals. If they take them, they take them. But um, there was a couple situations where I was personally uncomfortable and another time that I was so attacked by what was being said and just from a value standpoint could not remain objective. And that's going to happen. But then again, it's the psychologist's responsibility, the therapist's responsibility to acknowledge that, say that to them, provide them for referrals and say, I'm, I'm not going to be the best fit for you. Um, what does a therapist who doesn't do that sound like, by the way? Who doesn't refer out? Who doesn't, who would not or would would remain subjective during uh, how how uh, does that sound when it's when when someone is not being objective they're they don't care they're going to pass judgment on you they're going to do all this so what does that sound like these are some really good questions john barchard i think it's the you're, eagles you're, hat yeah I, I, for those of you that are, yeah for those of you that aren't actually like <laughs> watching this on my youtube channel Which you should be subscribing to um these are really cool hats thanks to uh our head producer and engineer taylor credatus for getting all of these made for us it is so nice they're yeah. really nice it's uh it's a sensation on twitter already in just an hour and a half this so. is not an ad people i'm not like, an genuinely I'm just, like i really like these hats yeah Thank um you. kelly green kelly green yeah. Yes. Now we're getting somewhere. Okay. So um, I forgot your question. I was just saying, how does <laughs> what is? <laughs> that's how good the head is. Um, what? Um, how does someone know that a therapist is being subjective? Oh, I say. Okay. So there's. I'm going to answer this in two parts. Love it. Okay. The first is if you feel that your therapist is being judgy, right? If you feel your therapist is kind of not being present with you in the moment but but in their head you know yeah. judging you um you have to ask yourself do you always feel that people are judging you because maybe your perception is off and so what i always tell my patients is at any point if you feel that i am in any way passing judgment not showing empathy, you know, I don't word it like that, but it, right. I give them that option because I want them to tell me because I, it's very important in the moment to call that out. And if I see them kind of getting uncomfortable, I'll call them out, not call them out, but bring it up in the session because sometimes people's perceptions are, if I talk about this, I've been shamed my whole life, you're going to shame me too. So if I say something like, um, how would you handle that differently? They may feel that I'm attacking them and then shut down. So it's important to first bring it up and ask them if they feel that way so that I can make sure it's not their perception. Yeah. And But a therapist who genuinely is judging or passing judgment or not being empathetic is going to sound probably very direct, not exploring in the moment, how the person's feeling at that moment, um, giving them suggestions that don't align with how they operate on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's more like the therapist giving strategies of what they would do. Are these the, and I'm saying this, Dr. Z's not saying this, are these the assholes that suggest going on a date, that type of stuff? So that's a little different okay. because because that is when, so what, what Dr. Non-Dr. Barchard is referring to <laughs> Is when somebody is in a narcissistic relationship yeah, and they go to couples therapy to work on their relationship and the couples therapist is not aware of the narcissistic behaviors because 
the person who's not narcissistic is not talking about it because they have to drive home and live with this person. The narcissist is likely charming the pants off the therapist, mm. and the therapist isn't just just may not be aware of it. So they're suggesting things like, "Well, to save your marriage, you need a date night every night." So that's a little bit different. Um, this that's just kind of not understanding the nuances of narcissism. Got period. It. Okay. To no fault of their own. Um, you know, just like I wouldn't understand the nuances of eating disorders because I just don't do that, right? Um, yeah, just eat less, right? Like, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. No, you, you yeah. know, no, you, you need to you try to eat three meals. A day. Like it's just, yeah. it's not going to work. So, um, they're going to be just more opinionated. They're going to be giving. Um, this is my opinion, and and don't yell at me, yell at John Barcher. Yeah, yell but at John Barcher. I think sometimes therapists who are not self-aware of their own shit and their triggers can be dangerous therapists. Mm. That's what I think. And I think that, you know, people say, well, if you're a psychologist, did you have to see a therapist? No, you don't. But I've been in therapy on and off my whole life. And I know what my triggers are working with patients. I know when something's upsetting to me. And that's why you have consultations with other professionals. You know, so I know the types of patients that I get really either uncomfortable with. And, and they're the patients that I refer out, that I, I before I even meet with them, like, right, I'll, re, you know, I'll talk to them and I'll I can I'll know if it's something that I'm OK with. And if and if partway through, I feel like I'm not able to be objective anymore. If I can't work through that, then I then I, you know, explain that to them. And, and they're appreciative of that. Yeah. Um, but I really can only count on my hands the number of times that I've actually had to tell someone I'm not I'm not treating you anymore. That's, well, first of all, that's impressive. That's good. Most of all, right? I think that's like... That's yeah. not the number of times people haven't come back to me. That's no, just the I times know, I've I told yeah, people no, not to come. <laughs> I'm just saying for you. That's, 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 but it was yeah. things that were like very value-based, like, um, you know, th- things that like were just so... <laughs> I don't yeah. even want to get into details, but well, well you know. in, in on the flip side of that, then yeah. because you did mention it before, like what is it okay if your therapist has the empathy with you? Like if they're if my therapist breaks while I'm telling them something horrific, breaks is, like starts crying yeah, along with you. Like yes. if you're, if yeah, you're yeah, yeah. and they feel it too, and like sure. they can't. And like is sure. that a good thing or a bad thing in therapy? So I think, I mean, listen, if, if someone's telling you a really horrific story, and this has happened to me a bunch of times, obviously, with the kind of work that I do and the people that I see, where I absolutely will tear up with them. But if I, I'll just be brutally honest. I'll give a, I'll, I'll f- fuck it. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> I love when she says whatever, fuck, fuck it, it. Let's let her rip. So I had a patient who came in who had had a. I'm not getting into politics with this, so please, yeah. I don't even want to hear it. And if you write me about this, I'm not even going to respond. But, um, <laughs> noted. Um, I had a patient come in that was, I think, around maybe 16 weeks pregnant, 17 weeks pregnant, and the baby had died, and she needed to have an abortion, and she was a mess, a mess, understandably so, in that particular situation. If I was pro-life or pro-choice, it can't it can't matter. If it does matter, then that's when you refer them out. There are certain things that some people can't waver on, and that's like a big one, right? And so I was working with her. I had the same experience, and I there was just something on Instagram actually. It was, I think it's like a that's probably why I came up because it was some sort of um, 
campaign about one in four women have miscarriages and we don't talk about it enough. So I'm talking about it. Um, and I went through what she went through and it was absolutely fucking horrific and you don't really get past it. And I was a mess. I didn't get out of bed for two months. I was, it was really depressed. It was really sad. It was horrible. And I could be there with her in that moment, knowing what she went through, knowing how I felt. And I think, you know, and I was crying with her. I wasn't hysterical sobbing because it's not about me. That's the thing. You can be there with the person, you can cry with them and you can have empathy with them, but it's not about you. But if your empathy helps them and it's genuine and it helps them open up and feel not alone, well, shit, I don't think anything's, I don't think anything's wrong with that. If I said you did what? That's different. Right. That's right. Like that's, that's different. Um, that's what you don't want to hear. Correct. You yeah. know, like, yeah, because this person's suffering. It doesn't mean they wanted to do this. It doesn't mean they wanted to go through this. I didn't want to go through that. I didn't want the options. I ha- I mean, but it, it is what it is. And so yeah. I think in those really delicate situations where there's either political differences or just really deep-seated religion differences, value differences, um, if you can't separate yourself from that, that's okay. But know that beforehand. Uh, yeah, and that's um, man, like, that's great advice. There's certain yeah. things I know that I can't work with on, you know, like um, I don't, I don't, I don't think we should get into it, but but there's certain values, right, that I won't budge on. And so if I know someone's coming in for that, like okay, like conversion therapy. If someone says to me, you know, I'm bringing my 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 22 year old in, they're gay. I want you to switch them to not gay. Like, Oof. I'm sorry like you no, like i don't operate like that so like that kind of stuff where it's very political it's very personal um and those are like two of the biggies yeah and that makes complete sense because like you said like what what a crazy premise to try and bring somebody into therapy too like against it's almost like against their will and all that correct correct uh an insane mentality those Um, are two heavy topics yeah just threw in there yeah yeah uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> well, but let the messages start. But no. but in but in all honesty, like that's a I, it's important. I think those are all important things to say because like they're and if you're thinking of doing that, don't. Right. You know, like imagine going to a therapist because you are like figuring out your sexuality and you go into a therapist's office and they basically tell you like you're a. a wrong or bad or something I mean, yeah. you can't you know so it's like if you you have to know ahead of time what you can handle and what you can't yeah and, and I th- by the way everyone tries to figure out their sexuality everyone does correct At least, like correct i don't care who you are if you're correct. from the age that you are kind of sniffing puberty all the way up until your 20s you're asking well i don't know i don't know if you're exactly <laughs> sniffing puberty i'm just saying I had, it's kind of a weird metaphor for everybody but once you're getting to puberty We're in those stages, no, of course not. That was <laughs> I thought that was a perfect metaphor. I think that's uh, your next hat. Yeah, sniffing puberty. I'm sure no one would 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 comment on the internet at all about that uh, hat or T-shirt. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of things, yeah, I'll tell you what not to wear in public. <laughs> she can tell you what she's thinking. And you know uh, what I but. will say this though. Speaking of what to wear, here's the other thing that I think therapists have to be very careful about. You have to know your audience, meaning your you have to know the population that you're working with, right? And you have to know each dip, each population that you're working with, each individual even, there are certain boundaries that have to be in place. So for example, if I had a day of just college students that I would see, right? I would go in leggings and my Uggs and a sweatshirt because 
it's not like I use it as an excuse to go comfortable. What? But but they can relate to me better in that situation. I think that's important too. You want them yeah. to feel comfortable. I relate right? you to more when you're wearing Uggs. That's to- totally. I'm, yeah. Right. Lululemon, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Throw it on. Let's go. <laughs> my sweatpants with my nice shirt. Um, <laughs> um, or, you know, if I'm working with somebody, it's like like my evening patients tended to be working professionals. So, like, I'm not going to show up in a sweat. So, like, there's those things, too. Because, again, it's not about me and what I'm wearing. It's about how comfortable this person's going to be and how comfortable can I make them so that they feel okay talking to me about why they're there. Because otherwise it's a waste of their time. Uh, I know this isn't really a thinking question, but I'm really curious now. Like, when people storm out on you, mm-hmm. what typically are are they storming out for? Um, if like they've heard yep, something, either yep, and yep. Not, you're not even so, here, no, but no, if no, any therapist, no, no, no. Really. So, so I've had one one person storm out on me um, because it was a. It was a it was an issue that um, he made a very anti-Semitic comment. Probably not great to do. No. In front of you. It, correct. Yeah. Especially since, well, I mean, regardless if you're Jewish or not, but g- given the fact that I'm Jewish, it yeah. didn't, didn't really make things better. Um, and I, I didn't, I've never been in that situation before. And I just kind of, I remember looking at him thinking, does he know like first you have to assess the awareness of it like maybe that's how he was raised and he doesn't see anything wrong again that's what i'm saying you have to assess and put your shit aside but when i realized that it was more of like he was doing it to me that's different and i and i kind of you know set a really serious boundary and he just like walked on out fine but i'm not going to chase after you for that one but if somebody storms out of my office because it's uncomfortable for them or they think that I asked them something that they viewed as inappropriate, I will like follow, not follow them up, but I'll, I'll like ask them to come back in. Or if they leave and they don't come back, I'll contact them again to make sure they're okay to check in. I will always follow up. There's certain situations where people storm out, like a narcissist, right? So if, some, if I'm yeah. seeing someone and like, I want to bring my spouse in, and the spouse comes in and I know we're dealing with someone with narcissistic personality disorder and they try to charm me first. They're, you know, they're, they're you know, trying to flirt right or they're trying to belittle me by you know like how how old are you right like are you i used to get that all the how old are you are you old enough to be you know um and below 35 by the way for the record run that on the last episode 25 yeah i didn't i'm not saying i'm just saying below 35 because you're not a boomer that's all but yes i'm a geriatric gen xer (laughs) I like that. I wasn't sure why people really storm out on others. Oh, that's and, what I'm saying. Yeah. So like if, if the narcissist storms out and like they realize I'm setting a boundary and they're like, okay, I can't get away with this stuff with her, and they're starting to feel attacked or they're starting to feel embarrassed, and they, you know, and the narcissist rage comes out and they start screaming at you and they storm out. I don't go after. I, I use that as a clinical experience in the session to say to the person that's in my office still, like, what just happened was I, I set a boundary they didn't like it they tried to intimidate with screaming and yelling they tried to deflect it didn't work they left and i use that as a clinical experience so a lot of these things that happen you actually can use them as clinical um, information as like real world examples and use that in the session as an example of okay how did you feel right now how did you respond because i'm not people in their life may tell them to fuck off and leave i'm not going to do that so i can kind of keep them there and use that as an opportunity to like as a learning experience almost for them that's uh, very helpful too what is 
last one uh, on this is what what is something that you have heard that therapists think that is so not true like in a in a generality you've heard like oh therapists probably always think this way oh, or do this thing yes. like what is that thing that you're like what so when people ask me what i do and like i'm a psychologist are you analyzing me <laughs> okay let me let me let me tell you a couple things number 1 that's television's fault i think mm-hmm. yeah number 1 I literally know nothing about you <laughs> except that you don't know anything about psychology because that's not how it works, right? Um, I can probably tell how some, like just by, like I said, their body language, I'm, I'm trained to pick up on those things, but I, can't, I don't know a damn thing about you. So am I analyzing you? No, we don't analyze you. Here's why. Because I have to figure out how to squeeze in patients, pick up my kids from school, who's going to be where, what babysitter needs to take this one there because I have three and it's like, I can't do it. Um, what appointments I have, who's got a haircut, who has a play date. I'm not analyzing you. <laughs> I promise you. Also, it's not like fortune telling, like, right? Like we, we don't have special powers. Yeah, I, I mean, I do, but we don't yeah, talk that, about okay. that. Okay, yeah, right. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> we don't have special hours. So I think that's a big one. I also think that I think that a lot of um, TV therapists over the years, it's gotten significantly better. But I think there's been this misperception that you can quote heal somebody in an yeah. hour-long TV segment. Doctor Phil. <laughs> whatever the other doctors are <laughs> and it doesn't work like that yeah, ever yeah you're exposing them. you know who actually though speaking of on on tv like psychologists that does a phenomenal job or maybe he's a psychiatrist i'm not i think I th- i'm not sure but i may or may not binge watch teen mom <laughs> of course you do i knew it i smelled it speaking may of or may things. not binge watch teen mom og and regular teen mom one two three four through ten just saying, but they may or may not at the end of each season have a wrap up session with Dr. Drew. Okay. Dr. Drew actually does a phenomenal job of like not trying to even pretend that he's going to fix the situation. Yeah. He just kind of navigates it in a, in a healthy way. I actually, I, this really one of the few that I think does that, but you, you can't fix someone in an hour. So people have this this idea that if they go into therapy, they always say, how many sessions do I need? Um, I don't know. As many as it takes? I mean, I think I'm relative. My friends listening to this are going to laugh. Relatively healthy? I've been in and out therapy my whole life. Like, I, you know, I don't have an answer for that. Things come up. I could tell you, I could treat you of your needle phobia in 10 weeks. That I could do. But, like, no one really just comes for needle phobia. Nidophobia, is that the only like timetable uh, phobia thing? That well, you phobias, like, phobias have a very distinct, like no phobias, kidding. like if someone has a fear of heights or a fear of snakes or a fear of. Um, yes, help. I have a fear of bats. Did I ever tell you this? I didn't know. I'm, I'm exactly like Bruce Wayne, except I'm poor. Like, uh, there's a bat that flew into my house, and it was like the great outdoors. And I was the like, great times like Batman opening up the, the bats for the first time. I'm like, what? Carrie had to. Kill it, and th- I, I didn't know I was scared of bats until there was one in my house. Yeah. Like, I can handle so pretty much well, everything else. But here's the thing with that. So yeah. here's, uh, actually, this could be for another good episode. The difference between fearing something, like, beyond belief and a phobia. Mm. 
They're two different things. Well, mark okay. that down. So for like I have episode. a legitimate irrational fear of bugs. So <laughs> I was out with a friend the other day at a won't say what restaurant that serves coffee and pastries. And I was sitting there doing work with them for something and there was a cockroach on the table. Ooh, I boy. literally cl- like Spider-Man climbed the <laughs> wall. Okay. So here I am psychologist, right? Doing work for psychology stuff. I Doc literally have one Doc foot Easy. on the table, one hand on the wall, the other hand on the wall, hanging on for dear life, standing on the table like a lunatic in the middle of the restaurant. Is this a local place or yes. is this a corporate place? No, this okay. is, well, I am them. Nah. <laughs> it's a franchise. Ah. Um, but so, but here's my thing. That's fine, fine. But like, if I didn't leave my house because I was scared of bugs, that's different. So it's the degree to which it interferes with your functioning, gotcha. which you hear me say all the time. But um, phobias you are, are pretty, they're relatively, they're easy for me. They're torture for the other person, but they're they're relatively easy to treat. There's a very distinct process. You, you come in for that. You're good, like fear of flying, fear of bridges, things like that. You do exposure therapy, sit with the discomfort. Fine. But aside from that, um, I never really give a time frame because I just don't know. Because you could be working with me and then you find out like your boyfriend's cheating on you. Or you could be working with me and <laughs> right. a parent dies. Like I have no idea. Yep. And it's usually so much deeper than it's not just I'm sad because I, I lost my job. It's like that triggers my fear of failure, which came from this, which which is you know pervasive in all other areas of my life. So it's never it's never that. Dr. Z, I appreciate you letting us go on your brain today. You're welcome. And I I now just have like a billion other questions to ask you on top of this. So I think this might be a thing. We should do this a couple more times of uh, what Only are if I you get thinking a hat. about? Yeah, done. Hat, done. Shirt, we'll, you know, we'll wait and see. Okay. <laughs> uh, at John Barchard, in case you want to yell at me, Dr. Z, uh, we're not even going to do the, what we've tried so many times to say your handle. Just. Dr. Okay, Z psychologist. Dr. Z, if you put in Dr. Z psychologist, I will show up. But really, if you want to be really particular, it's dr. Period z underscore psychologist. I know <laughs> they won't let me change it. Way to go, boomer! I lose Way my check. Way to go, Jax geriatric. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that thumbs up, and uh, make sure you are giving five stars wherever you're listening to this on your podcast. Until next time, bye everybody. Bye.